0: I can tell we're back because we're still talking to one another, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, this morning, we get the honor and privilege of um, hearing a conversation between Winnie and Kate Kennedy. Kate is a postulant? Candidate?
1: Candidate. Austria? Candidate.
2: Candidate. I'm the, on I think. the last leg. Candidate. You're a
0: candidate. <laughs> okay. She is a candidate for Holy Orders, the Holy Order of the Diaconate, um, as a vocational deacon. And so she's here to talk a little bit with us about what that means. Um, and uh, it's I love um, the phrasing that she uses standing in the threshold. Um, so kind of one foot in the church, and one foot, out in the world, and trying to help um, facilitate us moving through that threshold. Um, So, I'm going to invite us to offer a prayer real quick. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for the many ways that you call us to be your people in the world, We thank you for the voices that challenge us to do more and to be more, that challenge us to grow into an ever-enlarging community that is God's beloved people. Grant us wisdom to recognize our gifts and to use those gifts in service and in love of you. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen
1: turn it over to you. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. (laughs) So um, one thing I noticed in coming here, um, in churches this size, usually in New York, there's going to be a deacon. Um, So there isn't a deacon at this church. And I don't know what the history of that is. You all know. So let's start with, tell us what a vocational deacon is.
2: So a vocational deacon is actually an, an ordained order of the, of the church, of the Episcopal Church. And, and you'll hear about um, deacons in the Baptist Church, deacons in other traditions, and a lot of times a deacon just means that they're on the governing board, like they're vestry members at their church. But in the Episcopal Church, it's actually an ordained order. And so I've been going through formation for the last um, couple of years, uh, with the diocese, doing a lot of education, um, seminary training, some different um, different programs in the diocese. But a vocational deacon uh, does what, what Elizabeth said. We stand on the threshold of the world and the church. So it's interesting because vocational deacons are... Um, bivocational which, and, and non-stipendiary, which is a really fancy way of the Episcopal Church to say that when you're ordained a deacon, you, you serve at the pleasure of the bishop, um, but the church doesn't pay you, and, and so you, you have um, a, a life and a job and a role outside of the church, so most deacons work full-time in a secular profession, and, and then they're also placed at a church. To help the church to stay connected between the world and the needs of the world, and what's happening in the world, and the and the yes. church, and what's happening in the church. So, what does a deacon do? So, all kinds of things. Um, I so it's very interesting. The deacon is placed at a church and serves um, at the altar on Sundays. Uh, and everything that the that a deacon does liturgically connects them back to their call to be in the world, bringing the needs of the world to the church. So um, I'm I'm really kind of a kind of a dork about this because I think it's really it's really cool. Um, as as an acolyte, my children carry will will sometimes you know carry that the gospel book in um, the first, and that is typically the role of a of a deacon to carry in the gospel. And the first time I did it here at St. Luke's, I have to say, I felt like it was the fullest expression of myself. Hmm. Because as a deacon, um, that, is, that is the call, to bring the word of, of God to the people. And so that's the symbolic uh, reason that a deacon would do that part of the liturgy, carry in the gospel. Once I am ordained, um, I'll be allowed to to actually, I'll be the one, the deacon is the one who reads the gospel uh, to the people. And, and so there's many liturgical duties that, that the deacon has. Um, setting the table for, for communion is one, and um, that harkens back to the history of the diaconate. Um, often deacons will read the prayers of the people. But every piece of the liturgy that connects the, the congregation and the parish to the world and back to the church is, is done by the deacon. And that's very intentional. Um, so you do serve in that role on Sundays, um, also teaching and, and offering pastoral care. And then you're, you're out in the world, keeping the church always connected to the needs of the world.
1: Are there deacons in the Bible?
2: There are deacons in the Bible. Thank you for asking. I'm getting better at this. Yeah. Um, so um, St. Stephen was uh, one of the first, the very first deacons. And uh, you can read about that in the book of Acts. Uh, Stephen was, as you all probably know, the first martyr of the Christian Church, which is very, very, or the, the Church. It's very interesting story. Um, it's very interesting that he was a, was the first martyr. So, before this, when the when the Church was just being formed in, in Acts, there was. Um, some comments about the fact that the leaders of the church were working so hard to to build the church and to organize the church that the widows and the orphans and the children were being were being left out their needs were not being met so they called up Stephen to be the one to go out for the church and care for the needs of the widows and the orphans and make sure that they weren't forgotten and so Stephen would set the table um, for for these uh, women and and widows and orphans to eat and to make sure that they were part of the church and that their needs were being met, they weren't being forgotten. Um, Stephen Wood, he was martyred because he, he provoked people, he went against, um, went against, went against culture, he, went, he spoke very loudly and, and so he was the first Christian martyr and the reason um, that that's interesting is because that's a deacon's call. They say deacons are to bring um, discomfort to those who are comfortable and to bring comfort to those who are uncomfortable. So make sure that we're not just sitting here that we're out in the world. Um, and then there's Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe was, is, is mentioned in, in Romans. She was actually called a deacon in, the, um, in Scripture and she worked with Paul and she actually delivered the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. Um, that was her job and she worked in the parish or wasn't a parish then but she worked in the, in the church and Um, she was actually called a deacon. So we had deacons all the way back. It's one of the first orders that's actually described. Whereas,
1: right, there are no priests in the New Testament that I'm aware of. No priests in the New Testament, only deacons. So you you mentioned that Stephen was martyred. Yes. Um, So tell us about your own call to becoming a deacon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Wow. Well, now I have, you know what, I've been called to this ministry for really for my whole life. And, it took me a long time to figure out what it was. And and many of you all know that I have been um, trudging my way through seminary for, for, okay, 20-something years. Mm-hmm. And um, each time I go to seminary, I end up um, in the discernment for, for being a priest. Mm-hmm. And each time something happens that just sets me off course. And so I finally realized that this is the work, actually I feel like I, I do this work, um, I, I want to be in the world I you know the Ansley School is kind of the fullest incarnation of, of wanting to be in the world of seeing a need and, and provoking um, the people of our community and of our church to take on that need and and to make it a reality um, and to bring it back and connect it to the church so that's the kind of work that I feel called to do and to be able to tie that with the liturgy yeah. um, and serve at the altar and is um, it's just again the
1: fullest expression of what I feel I'm called to be. So um, as a priest, your first ordination, I was ordained a deacon on Juneteenth, 1999, June 19th. I'm so proud of that. Um, And then I was ordained a priest in January, so six months later. Um, And I think people people find it really confusing, especially... um, so a couple in a couple of ways. One, because priests have to be deacons first. So in some six months is the minimum amount of time you can be a deacon. And I have friends that waited five years. So we're transitional deacons for five years. Um, and we take that it's an, it's an, it's an ordination right? I t- we something I take I take very seriously. I take very seriously. And the the kind of the the um, call to social justice and to engage the world and to service in the world really is the in our tradition is the is all of our work and is exemplified in the role of the deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we have this transitional diaconate, the pe- that all priests have been deacons, all bishops have been deacons and priests, it can feel like a ladder. But the way we talk about it in the church is there are, there are three orders, there are four ways you can be. I would say the lay people are not ordered, right? They're not, um, they're, they get to be full, fully Christians. Deacons, and priests and bishops are ordered for the administration of the church, right? For the, the work of the church in a very particular way. It's very hard not to see that hierarchically, um, but that's not our understanding at all. It's not hierarchical. Um, help us to understand how, how you see it.
2: So, it, you know, it, it, is, it is hard not to see it hierarchical and, and people talk about it in, in turn. As non-hierarchical, but also then they'll turn around and they'll say something that is very um, that, that puts the pyramid back in in place. But but truly, um, if you if you look in the prayer book, the the vows that a, that a, a deacon takes, that a priest takes, that a bishop takes are very specific in what their roles are. and, and a bishop takes vows to, to oversee certain things, to do certain administration. and really to be more out in the world, the priest has certain vows that they take to care for their congregation, to to you know to consecrate and, and to um, to bless and to be to to build the church, and then the deacon takes vows to be out in the world. So um, in the perfect world, it's it's all kind of an even, I'll say a, a circle that we we are all part of because the the lay are the ones that 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 do the work and that you know bring the bring all of their pieces of God into us every 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 day. Um, so yes, it's confusing, and I think that there's been a move to uh, call transitional deacons de- that, are, that are on their way to the priesthood something besides a transitional deacon because what happens a lot of times is when you are ordained a vocational deacon which means this is your ordination um, people are like oh did you not make it Did they not let you in? (laughs) When are you going to take the next step? Are you a junior priest? And it's not. It's a completely different call. And so there is movement in the church to to kind of rename that um, time of being a transitional deacon when you're headed towards the priesthood. And in fact, the first little um, hint of this movement is that um, there is an ordination service that will be taking place in December um, for And, and in, historically, it's been for those who are being ordained to the transitional diaconate, meaning in six months, they'll become priests, and those who are being ordained to the vocational diaconate. Mm-hmm. So it's all happened together in one in one. So it all kind of gets lumped together. And then a portion of those people then get, mm-hmm. go on to the, to the rest of their ordination. Um, this year, though, for the first time, and um, we're supposed to be very careful about saying this, God willing, and with the people's consent, if I pass all of my interviews and tests, um, the vocational deacons, candidates, will be ordained on October 8th. We just found that out. So you all can all mark that on I your haven't calendars. haven't that
1: on my calendar yet, yeah. <laughs> At I'll the cathedral. Yeah.
2: Um, the transitional deacons will not be ordained until December. So they're going to separate us. October 8th. Breaking different. news. Y'all. October yeah. 8th. I just found yeah. that out yesterday. I
1: didn't know that. So... Um,
2: <laughs> They, they want us to be very careful. Oh, you don't know you're going to get ordained. It's, 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 I have to say, it's a, it can be a little like um, a little like hazing. You don't know, don't say you don't know. Lots of people, lots of interviews coming up, lots of testing coming up, but um, I'm hopeful, so.
1: October 8th. October. So for a church like, this, I'm just asking you to speculate, yeah. right? For a church like St. Luke's that has such a strong sense of service and social justice, which is what I equate with the diaconate, mm-hmm. right? Um, what what would it look like for there to be a deacon here? Tell us tell us the ways it would. Like what...
2: Oh, the, you know, St. Luke's is the is the perfect place for a deacon, and and I don't know the history of why we haven't had a deacon um, because um, and and maybe it's because so many of our parishioners act as as deacons. I mean, I really truly feel like I have been living my life in the role of a of a deacon and I look out at it, so many of you all that have done such such great work that lived their lives as a role of a you know in the role of being out in the community provoking people like Stephen provoked the the newest members of the church um, deacons provoke people to say don't don't sit here and be comfortable what needs to be done well let's go do it let's go let's go incarnate Christ in the world ourselves and and so St Luke's is I mean, this is what we do, right? Um, so to have somebody officially placed here by the bishop to to lead that work, I think um, would be a would be a spectacular thing. You know, I mean, Winnie and I I I I always talk about big dreams and and visions and stuff. And and Winnie and I, I Winnie and I have had many conversations about you know all this land, the, all this real estate that we have. What can we do with it? St. Luke's could make a Big, I mean, we already do, but an even bigger impact on the city of Atlanta with how we choose to use our real estate, with how we choose to use our social capital that we have here, um, with how we choose to use our money that we have here, all the gifts that we have. And, and the role of a deacon would be to come in and, and spur everybody on to continue that work.
1: And you probably hear it in what's being said, all of our roles overlap a lot. So there's yeah. a lot of, it's, it's, it's not meant to be clean because nothing in the church is that straightforward um but there's a real focus on on the community in mm-hmm. the diaconate mm-hmm. um that really is singular yeah. and then that comes into our liturgy in very particular ways right, right?
2: Um, yes yeah I mean you know reading and like reading the gospel and and setting the table and um reading the prayers of the people and um that, you know, every everything that that a deacon does, that at St. Luke's, this has been so interesting, and I'm I've just been learning this. Um, one of the clergy is assigned to yeah. to do the liturgical role of a deacon every every Sunday, since we don't have a deacon, and and you can tell by um, by what they wear and and by by what they do. Yeah. Um, but the you know, it's 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 um it's a special role set aside for a deacon.
1: It's kind of one, Yeah, it's one. So there are other ways to do it, right? So yeah. I've been in, when you have a lot of priests, you want to use them, you want to hear their voices, use their energy well. And so one way to do that is just divide the service, mm-hmm. give different people different parts. Another way to do it, especially when you have the nice kit that you guys have here, is that you assign all the roles because the roles have, have um, vestments, right? So we have a dalmatic and we have a tunicle. And so you, you want to wear it if you've got it. Um, but you can imagine how much more powerful it is to have someone functioning as a deacon in the world be the deacon in the service. So we can do it liturgically, and it's, it's fine, um, but it's a, it's a much more powerful thing to have a person who is your voice in the world and who is challenging us um, to be more and to do more than we're doing, then stand up and bid you to confession. That's a, frankly, it's a much more powerful thing, or to read the gospel to you, right? Um, so in other places I've been, um, at UCLA, our um, our deacon was a professor, um, and he, did, he was a sociologist, um, he was a California professor, he uh, chair, Professor of the Chair, um, who worked on um, the kind of nonverbal interactions of, um, of how people engage across race, how to shift that, was one of the founders in that work. Um, we had a deacon who w- uh, worked on international development um, and women in international development. We had a deacon who was a chaplain at a hospital, and a deacon who was a chaplain at a prison. Um, if that helps to, to think about the, the roles that people have in the world and then carry. Carry into our liturgy.
2: Yeah, and I, um, I, you know, I have my work at the Anzley School, and then I also um, have been working as a consultant with the United Way, helping them to vision some new initiatives for how to serve um, people experiencing homelessness and people that are um, precariously housed in the community. And so I, you know, I feel like that's kind of the, the work that I do, um, and and then to to connect it. Um, do it as a representative to the church, connected to the church, I just think is really, is, is very powerful. And uh, I'm actually doing a, a research project right now, which I'll share with you all, uh, for a class that I'm taking at, at Candler. And I hope to graduate, um, finally, in um, uh, May of, of next year, so oh. a year. And um, my degree will be a Master's of Religion in Public Life which is, is just, oh, cool. just yeah. my, my sweet spot, I think. Is, is, um, and so I'm really excited, but the project that I'm doing this, this semester, I've been researching, and Neil Shorthouse so kindly helped me out with this um, to let me interview him, but I've been researching, how did St. Luke's become a parish known as incubating and incarnating so many amazing nonprofits and services in the community? How did we become change makers and risk takers? Uh, because I think if we find that out, we can then always remember to stay that way um, and not change. And so um, this class has had me do this in kind of a mini, a mini version. Um, and and I've done some, been to some meetings and done some interviews. Uh, but my hope is that uh, this will then turn into my, my thesis, which I'll start writing next year figure out how can not only St. Luke's, but how can other faith communities, and not just Christian faith communities, but faith communities, how can they leverage what they have and what they believe to become real change take, change makers in our community? Because um, I think it's really important, so. exciting, you'll have to present that to us. Yes, yeah, very want to, exciting. I wanna hear about that.
1: Yeah. So um, one of the interesting things about the diaconate that I think is, you know, sometimes you don't, even if you don't know a history, you sort of live it out. And so one is that, um, one, the church has uh, has struggled in the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion. um, has just gone back and forth over the years about whether to have deacons or not, when to have them. More Anglo-Catholic churches have almost always had them. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of us more in the middle and the broad um, broad church, it's um, it's, it's more rare, um, but the current prayer book um, makes it clear that you should have them. And so it's, there's been a revival of the diaconate, especially among those of us that are not Anglo-Catholic. Um, but part of the legacy, I think, that we hold is, is that ambivalence historically and trying to understand what the role was, um, what it was for, and that when we didn't ordain women, we created an order called the diaconess, Um, because you wouldn't want to confuse them with deacons, but the deaconesses deaconesses were not ordained because you couldn't ordain women. So they called them a set, they were set aside, in the same way that um, uh, nuns and monks are set aside. They can be ordained as well, but they're not necessarily. And so because of the order of the deaconess, um, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in the church still about what a deacon is, um, Mm -hmm. and that it's its own role, it's an ancient role, From the beginning of the church Um, and so that was also a segue to can you tell us about Anna so Anna Alexander was ordained a deaconess the only African-American woman in the entire history of that movement to be ordained a deaconess in our country to our shame Um, And when women's ordination was permitted, one of the first things they did is make all those deaconesses deacons, which is ordained, right? So it's a fine point that probably doesn't really matter, but is a weird legacy we have in our church, and people pick up that there's something confusing about that role, Mm -hmm. and Anna Alexander is just epic, so. She is,
2: and and I'll say, I'll throw this in, I just learned this yesterday, Um, so general convention is coming up this summer, and there is a resolution that will go to the floor to actually, Call by name all of the deaconesses that were ordained deacons, just to, so their names will be be wow. be listed um, and registered. Because Anna Alexander's is, and a few of the really um, the ones that really you know their names were more widely known um, for historical reasons are named. But then there are a lot that just weren't. So, so that's kind of an exciting well, thing. Well, and
1: actually, before you start, you still have to tell us about Alexander, is that if you all remember the settlement house movement, and there are movements of Protestants and Catholics, actually, so Christians, um, early 1900s, overwhelmingly women, going into newly industrialized cities in America, and rural areas, actually, mostly industrialized areas, and just, and in New York, it was the, the, the bishops were involved as well because tenements were being established, migrants were coming or people from rural areas coming into the city and just destitute. And at some point, back then, people had a conscience about it and were horrified by the state of, of tenement housing. And so these settlements were, um, there was literally a house usually, um, they're still all over New York, um, in one of those neighborhoods and people would live there, often people of significant means, commit their entire lives, to what they, how they understood the uplift of those communities. So we might debate what, you know, how you do that today, and some of that can seem very patronizing looking back, but considering all the choices those overwhelming women had in their lives, those were powerful choices, Over, overwhelmingly single women, their entire lives committed to the uplifted communities that they had no attachment to, and so, just to say, Anna Alexander, Anna Alexander was not a complete unicorn. There were there was a movement around her, and yet what she did was remarkable. So please, yes, tell it was.
2: Us about her. Um, so so Anna Alexander was was a was a black woman who um, was born in Saint Simon's Island, and she, um, you know, in the in the at the turn of the century, from you know she was born in eighteen ninety something. Her parents were both were both freed slaves. And, um, and so you know her her life was 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 tough living in in south southeast Georgia um, and she dis- she had this is what the story says of her which I find a lot of um, I know it might seem strange but I find a lot of connection with her because the story was that she went to church and the, the churches were um, were predominantly white. Um, there were not a lot of black churches that were um, really very robust, um, and, and the, the black people in the churches, the white churches, you know, they didn't really have a, a big say in what happened, they didn't have a lot of power in the church, um, and she was at church, and she just had this idea that she wanted to start a mission, and she went to someone, and she said, I have this idea, I want to start a mission in, in Pinnock, Georgia, and they said, um, oh, well, you should go tell, tell the rector, and so um, they, the little group went to the rector and said, Anna wants to start a, a mission in Pennock, Georgia. And, and he was like, oh, well, go on, and if you can find anybody that wants to join it and you can find a place to do it, I'll come and baptize them. Well, so I think he probably thought, yeah, we won't see her again. But she rode a boat up the river to, to Pinnock, and she bargained with the Baptist up there and used their church in the afternoon. And um, she called the bishop, within, I mean, the rector within a couple of weeks and said, you know, I have, I think, eight, eight people for you to come and baptize. And so not only did she have a, um, start this mission church, she also had a school there. And, um, and, and it, was, it was for the, the black children of the, of the neighborhood because their educational needs were not being met. Surprise, they're still not being met. But they she <laughs> were working on it. Um, but <laughs> just throw that in. But um, but she she started the school and it was hard. I mean it was it was hard because she was and she was little. She was a, was a, a little black woman whose parents were um, were slaves and and she was a she was a powerhouse. And the bishop at the time of the diocese of Georgia said, you know, we we want you to be a deaconess and named her a deaconess. But um, when the diocese of Atlanta was formed. Uh, that, that Bishop became the Diocese of the new Diocese of Atlanta, and Georgia got a new bishop, and he was not so interested in in the work that Anna was doing, so she left and went to college, but all she noticed all of her work was kind of falling apart, so she came right back yeah. and she literally spent her life going around setting up schools and mission churches yeah. um, so, and, yeah. and she just was
1: an incredible person, which is basically the work of a bishop that 's what a bishop is supposed to do, um, and rarely do you do you find bishops that, that do that, frankly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Anna Alexander of Georgia. I forgot to say that part. Of Georgia, yeah,
2: yeah. yes. Um, yeah. So it's it's a great point of pride that we had um, we had here the first and only black female deaconess, and um, we also had the very first black uh, archdeacon uh, was from Georgia. I just learned that. I didn't know that. I just learned that yesterday. Yes, I spent the day yesterday in Macon at Christchurch Church Macon, um, doing some formation for for the diaconate, and um, and uh, we talked a lot about the history of uh, race relations in Macon and the role that Christchurch
1: played in that. So it was very um, it was very interesting. Yeah, very exciting. Well, if anyone has questions um, for Kate, there's a microphone right there. Um, yeah, good. I'll repeat your question.
0: In mm-hmm. the world, I mean, you you keep mm-hmm. saying we're, we're part of the church and of the world. How
1: do you uh, reconcile the evangelism? part? Where do you yep. where do you set that in your calling? I should ask. So the question was about the role of an evangelist, which which you hear loud and clear, and what Kate mm-hmm. is saying, and how she thinks about that in the world, as opposed and and in the church.
2: And you know. I I can only speak for, for myself, and I, for good or bad, am not um, one who, who speaks um, loudly and, um, I don't know what the word would be, but I, I, I don't go out and, and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ on the street corners um, in a very public way. I, I find that I do that work more, just my personality, through trying to be Christ in the, in the city. And in the world, and as as I think that as my as my role as a deacon, that's uh, going to be a growing edge for me, definitely, um, to. How, how
0: do you how do you do that? That's what I'm asking. When you when you're out in the world, how do you uh, become part of the world as far as bringing the church to the world
2: uh, mm-hmm. as an evangelist? <laughs> So I, you know, I just think that it is it is something that you that you have to experiment with. But bringing, being a, a representative of the church, and you, you wear a deacons wear collars, um, so it is very clear. All of a sudden, you're making a very clear statement that you are representing the church, and um and, and it's just it has to be very intentional. I think to bring to bring the love of Christ and, and to answer people's questions and to invite them in. Um, to your church and and mostly just to try to um as my old youth director would say bring in the kingdom how can we how can we make um this world look more like the world that god wants it to look like
1: amen yeah, thank you yeah yes I mean, yep yeah. you got it started yes
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Is. Yes. And there's, there's, you know, that is was a great idea, and it's a great program, and it's a great incarnation of a real need that was seen in the community. But it's also living proof that there's more of those mm-hmm. ideas and needs, and that, and that, um, Saint Luke's has the potential um, yeah. to to be the the brains and the brawn and the heart um, behind this well one of the ways
1: I, mean, I think one of the ways I see Kate doing this I, I think it's what you're you're pointing to is you know one it's an amazing thing to found a, an institution of any kind right and Alexander's an example of that Kate Kennedy's an example of that, which is calling up in us right our best selves to do something far beyond what we thought we could do to address a problem we all can see right um, which is a I mean a, a little bit of what ordination does is kind of say we we see you. It doesn't say we're gonna make you into something else. It says we see you. Um, and I think in Kate's case, absolutely. That is what ordination is doing. I see, who am I gonna pick? I'll pick Melba. So, as somebody in the business of talent, Kate, I hmm. we get to keep you? <laughs> Ooh.
2: So, interesting, um, to, a couple of different things. Uh, Bishop Wright, when he came to Atlanta, decided that, the, the, that deacons needed to be itinerant. And so um, deacons work at the pleasure of the bishop and report directly to the bishop. And the bishop places deacons in parishes, and um, they're supposed to move every three years. And that is because I think that he found when he got here, there were a lot of deacons who were simply at a parish, serving at the altar, going to the vestry meetings, and really not—not really— doing the work in the world. They were too stagnant. And so he thought that it would be a good idea to move them around. There's been some recent pushback um, to that. Um, I am will be moving to St. Patrick's May 1st as part of my formation. And I'll be there through September. And then in October, I will get my um, official placement from the bishop. I would be honored to be here at St. Luke's. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> absolutely, I think we absolutely can, because I, I, you know, with a lot of respect for the bishop and why you would set up a policy like that, also because there aren't enough deacons, right? So you want little places to have one, and and St. Luke's can probably can produce somebody and. St. Luke's has a lot of capacity, but I actually think there's a very strong case to be made for why Kate Kennedy would help us to understand why this church should have a deacon, and we we might need to experience a very particular deacon. Um, so I can I can help you all write those letters, and we'll figure out how we're going <laughs> to organize ourselves to see if we can be convincing. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> we should, uh, yeah, we live streamed this. You have know, the bishops watching right now. I know, can, right? Uh, can, can we do Neil and then Anne? Is that okay? Let me just take this, oh, we're going to go to Jane apparently. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You talked about change coming from within, as mm-hmm. evidenced by the Boys and School. What about change that comes through public policy? What's our role and your role
2: nice.
0: in terms of creating, uh, advocating public policy? Great.
2: Yes, that's a, that's a great question, and, you know, that's it's a very important piece of the puzzle because, um, as you know, um, policy can really dictate what happens to individuals and what happens on the street. So that's another call um, of the diaconate to be, you know, to be kind of working on those charges to make sure that, that we are having conversation, that we're having true debate, that we are that, – that the truth is being – is being identified no matter what side it's on so that in the end we get the result of, of a world that looks like one that God would want us to live in. So it's, you know, it's a very important piece of the puzzle. Amen.
1: Anne? A loud voice. Yep. So the question is, does the diocese really encourage the vocational diaconate, and how many do we have?
2: So I, so I want to say that right now we have between 13 and 15, close to that, active deacons. Now many of them, and this is a problem that the church is going to have to, is going to have to wrestle with. Um, there is, you know, mandatory retirement um, for the deacons for all clergy, and and so a lot of people don't become deacons until they're retired because they don't get paid, right? And so you, you have to have a job and you have to, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And so a lot of our deacons are, are getting towards um, retirement age. We have three archdeacons, um, Janet Tidwell, Carol Maddox, um, and Juan Sandoval, who are all at the at the diocese. And so they are in charge of the deacons, but they are, you know, they're all saying, oh, I'm going to retire, you know, before too long, I'm going to retire. We have uh, six deacons um, set to be ordained, we hope, in October. So and so it's very very exciting that we are gonna grow the, the diaconate in Georgia, you know, in the diocese of Atlanta
1: by fifty percent. Whether it's encouraged is a good question. Would you say it's encouraged in this diocese?
2: I you know, I don't think so because I don't yeah. think that people really understand what it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went through and just quickly, you go when you, when you decide that you want to be in official discernment, then, then the, your parish sets up a, a committee to sit with you. And so I had, you know, four people sit with me for um, eight months uh, weekly and and just talk about you know what my call was discerning my call and so did Jenny McBride um, and so did Tony Johns we all did it at the same time and all of those committees came out and said you know we recommend all of you all for the priesthood and then you go to the diocese and you go through these committees and they all said we recommend you all for the priesthood and mm-hmm. I you know I don't mm-hmm. I I feel something different mm-hmm. but there's still that stigma that why wouldn't you want to be a priest mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want to be a priest and so I, I think that there's some work that needs to be done around that, definitely.
1: Um, do you, yeah, do you. Yeah. Uh, is it possible that this is what used to be known as
2: the perpetual deacon? Yes. Yes,
1: okay. yes, exactly right. yes. There's a hand behind you, but I can't see the face. Yes. What oh, the Melita. You know,
2: yeah. to... Oh, yes, sorry. Yeah. The archdeacons are deacons who are appointed by the bishop to be in charge of the deacon, the head deacons.
1: And I'm just going to say that's how this diocese defines it, and some other dioceses. But that's not the history of that term, which I I find it so confusing. Okay, well, that's that's all I know. But that is how it's functioning here.
2: Well, what's the history of that
1: term? Well, usually, in my experience, an archdeacon is um, you'd have a diocesan bishop, and then you'd have an archdeacon for every region. So, if any of you watch like the the BBC Rev. Like the archdeacon shows up in his car every time the, guy, the priest is screwed up. Like it's the, um, it's an administrative role. It's like a bunch, of, it's like the vice presidents, you know, in a diocese. Um, and so they've taken, but yeah, but they've taken that just because it's called an archdeacon. Right. I don't know why, and made it, a couple of dioceses have done this, have made that person the person in charge of the deacons, which is just not the history, but it is how it's functioning here.
2: Yes, it is. So I, I do think that there is, I, I, I feel some, um, some fire in the, in the diaconate here, especially since we have, you know, it's going to grow grow our numbers by 50% in, you know, in this year, and then we already have, I think, three or four people that are, are going to be coming in right after us, um, So I, I, but I think that there's some work that needs to be done. Um, and, you know, as I said, a deacon wears a collar. Um, they're known as the Reverend Deacon, you know, whatever, and and so I do think a lot of people th- just assume they're priests. Um
1: Well, and and one of the reasons um, that uh, if you're going through an ordination process, a discernment process to be a priest even, that they'll ask you to leave your parish. So Kate is discerning a little bit with us, which isn't, or is placed with us right now because we've asked for that, and I'm very grateful for it. But often the reason they'll ask you to go somewhere else and to work somewhere else, at least at first, is because we're not good at acknowledging within a community that if I was in my parents' church, um, there's no way I'd be anything but my parents' child, it doesn't matter if I'm 50, right? So, um, so there is a, a value to walking away, getting in that role, having everyone know you in that role, and then coming back to a community. with. And uh, yeah, frankly, I can go to my parents' church now, and I'm still my parents' child, right? So, and figuring out whether that can ever shift. Because that's one of the shifts that I think we can make, but that we need to make with Kate, is that she's taken on a, a very different role in the life of the church. We can do that. <laughs> Melba's in charge of that too, yeah, yeah. Yes?
2: Yes. Yes. Where is a retirement age? So, <laughs> yes. So where is that I think it's... 75? 75 72? 72? 72 72 or
1: 75 is mandatory retirement. I don't know which one.
2: Yes. So you know, a lot of people only they they become a deacon for, you know, So I have seven years, and then that's that. And
1: I think one of the things that speaks to is that people find their vocation, you know, they've got their lives and their livelihood and then are thinking about ministry, and I actually think the diaconate fits really well. If you don't want to upturn everything, go off to seminary for three years, and then frankly go work anywhere in the world, right, that you might find a job. If you're settled, um, I think the diaconate often is is exactly the the right expression of ministry for, for many people.
2: I truly feel like I have been acting as the deacon I've been living out that call for for really my my whole life um and and so now finally the church is going to say yes we as you said we see that we see you and we officially you know um recognize that in you and um so that's that's an exciting on October 8th the church is going to say that on October 8th I hope the church is going to say that I'm not as
1: superstitious as others I, I think we can just say it's October 8th I'm excited about that um Thank you Kate. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for being a part of it. Thank our you course. all for having me here.